0: Good morning. Good morning. Um, how much are they paying you to be here? Uh, excuse me? What is your name, son? Gerald. Well, Gerald? I think you're afraid. Are you telling us this stuff so we can buy your book? Because uh, I gotta tell you, if you are, that was some of the worst advice I ever heard. You see how sad this is? I want your sister to lose weight, tell her to get off the couch, stop eating Twinkies, and maybe go out for field hockey. You know what? No one ever knows what they want to be when they grow up. You know, it takes a little little while to find that out. Right, Jim? And you. Yeah, you. You're sick of some jerk shoving your head down the toilet, but well, you know what? Maybe you should lift some weights or uh, take a karate lesson, and the next time he tries to do it, you kick him in the balls.
1: Oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, do you see this? Right. This is an anger prisoner. prisoner a textbook exam prisoner. Do you see the fear, of people? This boy
0: is scared to death of the truth. Son, it breaks my heart to say this, but I believe you are a very troubled and confused young man. I believe you are searching for the answers in all the wrong places. You're right, actually. I am. pretty I'm, I'm pretty troubled and I'm, I'm pretty confused, but I... And I'm afraid, really, really afraid. Really afraid, but I, I... I think you're fucking antichrist. Woo! risk it all to try to stand
3: out from the herd. It's the Cinema 9 Podcast with your host, Michael Gauvier,
0: Eric Brandstrom, and Travis Roy,
3: coming to a speaker near you right now. Good evening, afternoon, or morning, whatever time it is. I am Michael Gauvier. As always, it's a pleasure to be with my dear friends, Travis Roy, Eric Brasham. Travis Roy, it's Thursday. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I've watched a lot less movies this week uh, because I've been, like, grading papers and stuff, but I'm I'm, I'm doing good. Thank you. How are you, Mike?
3: Oh, just getting the day started. Thank you, you know. Uh, (laughs) Stayed up pretty late last night, and that's okay, you know. Quarantine allows you to be yourself. Eric Bransham, what's cooking over there in Griffith, Indiana? You know, we Indians have (laughs) the same.
2: With each new day comes like 10 new movies to talk about. Uh, So I'm real excited to be here and um, really happy to be with you, gentlemen.
3: Well, it's a pleasure to have you, Eric. Uh, You're a part of the show, you're a co host, you're not a special guest. So. Really? <laughs> it's good to have not you here. Featured? <laughs>
1: not not yeah, featured. Not just no, featured. you started
3: as featured, but uh Lauren gave us the approval, and now you are a regular cast member. So, congratulations! <laughs> this is a Cinema Nine podcast. If you were not aware when you clicked on it, we have a logo that says that, so that should be obvious. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, where we are very busy, you, nonstop. Facebook. Oh, and Facebook, of course. Good lord, I forgot about the Facebook. The Facebook is uh, happening, too. So check us out, Cinema 9 Pod. And then, of course, send us your emails, Cinema 9 Pod. That's a numerical number of nine, at ProtonMail.com. Today's show is going to focus on our Does It Hold Up? And the focus of today's show will be Donnie Darko, 2001's Donnie Darko. And we will get to that during the meat of the show. But first, we're going to talk about... Ron Howard, Opie. Opie makes good, makes daddy proud, whose dad, by the way, was in many, many films and TV roles. And he died just a couple of years ago, I believe. Oh, Rance. Rest in yeah, peace, Rance. Rance. Rest in peace, Rance Howard. He was great. Um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about Ron Howard's top three films. Now, Ron Howard has made a lot of films as a director. We're not focusing on his acting chops. We're going straight for the director himself. He has made movies from all different types of genres, starting in the late 60s. Barely, you know, barely 60s, 70s, where he did a couple TV movies, maybe, and then really breaking out in 1982 with Night Shift. That was his first kind of big movie, if you will. Um, Eric, I know you're excited to talk about this. We also had a uh, response, an email from a listener that coincides with this topic, so we'll throw that in the mix, too. But, Eric, let's go. Ron Howard's top three films – do you want to go from three to one or are you going to go in no particular order? Well, okay. Let me
2: tantalize the, the Ron Howard conversation by throwing in one of my top three. And uh, it's a bold choice. Uh, I'm going to throw in the 1996
0: thriller Ransom. Let me tell you something. You think you're suffering right now? huh? You got no idea what suffering is. If I don't get the cash in one hour, this kid is dead. I don't get my son back. I mean, real soon. You better kill yourself because when I catch up with you, I'm gonna take my goddamn time. By the time we're finished, you're gonna wish you weren't born. I'll have your head on a fucking pike, you understand me? Fuck you, I'll fucking kill him right now. I wanna talk. You kill him, you kill yourself, you motherfucker. Give me back my son. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to stand by this pick.
2: I think it holds up for a lot of different reasons. It's a solid thriller from the, the 90s. You have two titans coming together. We got Ron Howard coming off Apollo 13, Bell Gibson coming off his Oscars, you know, he's, he's his hands are full of Oscars trophies from Braveheart. They team up for, you know, a solid thriller. So, you know, Ransom, we'll talk about it a little later, but uh, that's where I'm at with my number two pick.
1: So number two, start with two. I'm
3: starting with two. All
1: right. Oh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> wow, great, yeah. Uh, Travis, what about you?
1: Uh, I'll start with, I guess, my number one. Um, Ooh. Which is willow it's uh it, I gotta go with Willow as number one um, oh, man.
2: uh
1: I don't know if it's a happy noise or not, but i have to, I, have to, I have to put Willow at number one I mean it's maybe not the like the literally the best movie that he ever made, but it's my favorite of what he's made, so uh you know grew up with it, which said that has an effect on things too. I uh, have oh. watched it pretty recently, but and I felt like it held up pretty good, <laughs> but again. Uh, <laughs> again i think it's more for nostalgia than anything else i i, I also you know i uh, i mean because it was kind of like that or gung-ho as far both as far as like nostalgia goes um both those movies like i grew up with them but i think i you know based on what we've talked about so far both on and off the pod i, I get a feeling that you guys are bigger much bigger ron and howard fans than i so we'll, we'll, no, we'll see is, how
3: that goes this is bullshit you're taking all my picks Damn it. Oh, wow. let's just wrap this thing up now let's stop. yeah shut it down i'm done no uh i love willow i love willow so much that i bought the toy eric i was with eric branch in chicago in 2015 remember that his eyes what were as big as dinner plates when he spotted it on a dusty shelf <laughs> i bought the two-headed dragon that comes out of the uh, troll guts that gets shocked by the wand of willow when they're in that castle trying to <laughs> fend yeah. off yeah. uh Bav mortars army. I bought that thing. It's, it's so gross. It's got that stupid overbite. I don't know who made that thing. It's so, <laughs> it's got this dumb look on his face. A friend of a friend of ours used to do a perfect face of that thing. It's just like, it's, oh man, it's so dumb. I can't remember the name of it either. It has a name, but I I'm with Travis here. I love Willow so much. I've watched Willow right. so many times. God, I love Willow. It's so funny. Val Kilmer's hilarious in this movie. Uh, Kevin pollock is like the comic relief in the brownies. Oh yeah, I love
1: that. <laughs> yeah, he's great in that.
3: Yeah, I, everything <laughs> oh, that's about it. points for Willow. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. You know, I stole the baby from the stupid guy, I love that. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's probably the line of the movie right there. <laughs> <laughs> it could be absolutely. Or uh, really. out of the way, Peck. I like that too. That's, <laughs> that's good. Something jokes. I've said for decades. Out of the way, Peck.
1: Me and my yeah. siblings. It's, there's definitely been a lot of, I
0: stole the baby. There's
3: been a
1: lot of that around the house grownups.
3: up. <laughs> yeah, and there's like, you know, it's kind of like a Wizard of Oz thing. And there's like good witches and bad witches. Good, you know, they got all that kind of thing going on. I'm not saying it's a rip off. It just reminds me of that. That's, I love Willow. I'm a huge Willow fan. And that's definitely one of my top three. I'm not going to remove that. So I'm just going to, I'm not no, sure no, yeah. where it is.
1: No, Let's do our own top three. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, if that's your number one, that's my number one. You don't have to come up with a different number one. That's your number one.
2: So George Lucas writes Willow, you know, under his Lucasfilm banner. Doesn't want to direct. You know, he's, he's, he's in the middle of kind of raising his kids and he's out of like the game as far as, you know, having a huge hand in film production, even on some of his written work. So he hands it over to Ron Howard and he had already done quite quite a few that we'll end up talking about what's 1989
3: 1988 yeah 88 um they was supposed to be a big hit they were expecting it to be a franchise and it didn't do that.
2: absolutely um i don't know i i never really the movie never really connected with me personally but i haven't seen it in like 20 years so if it's worth revisiting i'll check it out they are talking about like
3: sequels on disney plus and stuff so yeah, you know, Billy Barty's in it too. He's a he's a classic actor. He was coming off the <laughs> he was coming hey, off 1987's Masters of the Universe. Yeah, <laughs> God, Welcome to hell. He, he <laughs> redeems himself quite well as the wizard of uh the the Elvins little. Basically it's a Shire. Who are we kidding, right? It's a Shire. It's a Shire. <laughs> I mean it's clearly a Shire. Out <laughs> with it. But yeah, I'm glad you said that, Travis. It's
2: kaya's
3: a baby <laughs> yeah, that's right i love those look i love everything about this movie i love that um that, like he's annoying willow and he's like i'm gonna take your lands." and uh god I, I know his name so well and i'm spacing out but i love that guy he's like it's burgle burgle cut! Yeah, that's
1: right, burgle, cut. burgle cut yeah burgle cut oh
3: my god i can't believe i forgot <laughs> that i'm pissed i got there. we got there. thank you Anyways, I can talk about this movie all day. But, yes, it's one of my favorite Ron Howard movies, so I'll throw it in there. It, I'm still not sure if it's number one. It, it sounds like it's number one for me, but if I'm gonna throw, I'd like to throw in another option. I agree with The Willow to get the next round started here. I, I love Parenthood, obviously. Parenthood is an incredible film to me. You know, Ms.
0: Buckman, you need a license to buy a dog or drive a car. Hell, you need a license to catch a fish. But don't let any butt reaming asshole be a father.
3: I've watched Parenthood just as many times as I've watched Willow. And to me, it's probably Willow and Parenthood is my top two. Parenthood is so smart. It's so um, honest about parenting. But, like, it it, it it hurts. It's a movie that actually bums you out despite all the laughs. I mean, Steve Martin's hilarious. And even the Keanu Reeves character with uh, Martha Plimpton and Diane Wiest and their whole – there's just so many characters. and family plots going on even though they're all supposed to be kind of part of one greater family extended family i love this film parenthood what do you think uh, eric you parenthood guy i've never seen parenthood
2: (laughs) what are you kidding me no i've never seen it i always just missed it like i remember the cover box like steve martin's like holding his kids like by the ankles i was like this looks stupid i don't know what to tell you right now
3: travis
1: I, I mean, I, I seen it. I seen it. I, I have to say <laughs> that. I seen it. Um, I have seen it. It's been, it's been since I was a kid. Um, uh, Joaquin, a young, a, a young leaf Phoenix in there. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, I, I think it's a good uh, Rick Moranis scene in there. Right. With, uh, um, uh, like a carpenter song. Right? Is that the right movie?
3: Uh, carpenter song is Rick
1: Moranis in that movie.
3: Yes, he's definitely in the movie. Right, yeah, he does sing right her track. a song. That's right. Yeah, I all think right. he got it right. That's all I got. Wow. I actually want to put that on the list and see if we should do a, does it hold up? Because I think it's really, an, I think with uh, adult eyes, and you've never seen it, I am going to put it on our list down the road. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i table that. But Parenthood is a great film, and I'm really surprised that I'm here right now. I guess we'll just move forward. Eric, what else you got? All we can do. Ron
2: Howard's been accused by many as kind of being, especially in the 80s, like kind of Spielberg light, because he does like kind of these fantastical um, um, premises. Okay. He's got these high concept ideas with Splash, with Cocoon. Uh, and, you know, I never saw Parenthood, but I remember him kind of coming into his own and showing what he can do with the movie like Backdraft from 1991. Um I didn't, I didn't, I, I first saw this like a couple of years ago. Um, I think I'm going to go ahead and put that on my number, my number three for Ronnie Howard's films. Um, what do you guys feel about this movie? It's Actress? it's a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit cheesy towards the end, but one thing Ron Howard is good at, he's good at a lot of things, but he's, he's a great technical director when it comes to special effects and setups. In fact, I think his strongest point as a director is setting up a story and introducing characters. And every single one of his movies, even though not all of them are, you know, the best movies, the first act is always really good, in my opinion. Uh, So, yeah, I'll give Backdraft some major props.
1: I mean, I grew up watching Backdraft, and that's definitely one of his I've seen more than others. I, I don't know how well it holds up. I think that there are parts of it that that, that do and parts of it that really don't. I mean, I, I wouldn't put it in my top three, but I do. I do love it. I mean, like shit, that band I was in with Jess. I think we named at least at least one, possibly two songs after quotes from that movie. So that says something. There was a song called Triptic Chloride. <laughs>
3: I know that for sure. All right. that's bizarre anyway no parenthood parenthood, but you love backdraft that's well
1: you know what it is it's it's kurt russell's twitching jaw that i love it's it's scott Scott glenn man it's scott glenn that i love it's robert de niro it's it's donald Donald sutherland there's a lot of really solid performances in that movie that that you can kind of work around
3: i saw it once and i hardly remember it so definitely not on my top three but uh that's great backdraft it's a it was a well-received film. Congratulations.
1: Sequel not necessary.
3: Oh, it, it, it happened. Yes. It happened. All right, uh, Travis. What about you?
1: Um, so I'm doing my number two now. From um, a yeah. number two, I, you know, I wish that like I wish I'd rewatched Cocoon's. I haven't seen that in a long time. I feel like that 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 probably would be higher on my list. Uh, but from a number two, I'm going to have to say Frost Nixon. Uh, I feel like, you know, mm. it's not it's not one I've gone back to a bunch. I haven't seen it since theaters, to be honest. Um, we saw it together. We did indeed. We saw it together. But I Me remember too. walking out of that movie with you and feeling like it was definitely one of the best movies of the year, one of the strongest performances of Langella's career, which is always fun. I, I love him. Um, also in Masters
3: of the Universe, by the way. Also in Masters <laughs> of the Universe. <laughs>
1: All things come to the <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh so yeah i'm gonna have to say frost nixon i mean it's it's good cinema right it's like high art cinema and uh and so that's that's my number two
3: oh, i love frost nixon i i uh, am debating how that holds up because i've clearly i've gone parenthood willow and i'm trying to decide what the third movie will be and it's definitely between frost nixon and one other film but frost nixon is engrossing even though there's nothing going on but talking the whole film i mean so it's Really, and it's also based on like a true story. David Frost is the talk show host. He doesn't have a lot of cred in terms of the political arena or more of a serious nature. He's known as kind of a lighthearted guy, and he's trying to do something that basically bankrupts him to make this happen with the PBS, and and ends up being pretty impressive because Nixon says a lot of things that people did not expect him to. And you know that whole tension of what's going on behind the scenes, like you said, Eric, Ron Howard does a great job of introducing everybody's role and kind of laying it out the, the how that movie starts it is really set up well the first act it really is good you're right and then there's a little bit maybe it drags because i've watched it several times since we saw it travis and uh, you know it does drag a little bit because he's just kind of depressed because things aren't going well and you're like okay okay we get it yeah. we just get, we just get to like a reveal from nixon <laughs> so, but i yeah i love uh,
2: peter morgan's script and I would really love to see the stage play, especially would have been great to see Langella because I think he came right from the the role on stage into, into the um, feature film.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, it, it's maybe not as, I don't know whose fault this is, if it's Peter Morgan with the script or Ronnie Howard, but it's not as, you know, maybe challenging as a film as I think it could be given the subject matter, but, yeah. Yeah, but he does. So he, Ron Howard is so good at, directing actors and getting really like fun good memorable performance out of performances out of actors and someone like Nixon to to, you know to kind of humanize him and strip away this character we've caricature we've seen of someone like that especially with Tony Hopkins and Oliver Stone's movie that scene when he's petting the Dodson at the end always gets me and I've seen this film multiple times too um well, yeah, I think that's one of his sleepers. That'd probably be four or five on my list.
3: It's one of his highest-rated films by the public and critics. So, that, I think that makes what sense. You, yeah, what you said, Travis, is true. Was one of the better films of the year, and that's a good point by you, Eric. Uh, Peter Morgan is great at writing these um, kind of historical retellings. Uh, I think he did. He was part of the Queen with Helen Mirren in 2006 as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I like his work. I guess that whose turn is it now? I'm lost. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i think, think yes yeah, so we're on three now right we're doing our yeah we're round, on the right?
3: final round of films i think it's it, you bud it's me okay well this is real tough because i agree with frost nixon i love that movie but as a movie you mentioned earlier i love gung-ho man gung-ho is so good it's <laughs> fuck yeah I, man but i'm not, i love gung-ho but i'm gonna go oh. i'm gonna go off the, the path here and i'm really surprised i'm gonna say this i'm gonna say my number three is 2013's rush oh, 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 oh which really surprised me when i saw it i
2: yeah
3: I, it's about race cars It's about f1 racing in europe so it's even more it's not even about american racing it's it's a film that is about this feud between these two rivals james hunt and Niki lauda who actually just mm-hmm. passed in the last year uh really interesting real life story by the way if you've never heard of Niki lauda uh, lauda he's a really interesting guy but uh, it's Chris Hemsworth plays the real sexy blonde James Hunt, who was like this playboy hotshot. Not really a stretch for Hemsworth, probably. <laughs> you know, the role he's playing. But Daniel Bruhl is fantastic as Nicky Lauda. And yeah. Really, like, Olivia Wilde's in this as the uh, the partner and the things they're going through. He go, it, You know, no spoilers, but this movie really surprised me with how uh, deep it went and how, how much difficulty these people have to overcome. And like you said, Eric, his Ron Howard's, technical abilities with mm-hmm. like uh, effects and really practical with the racing mm-hmm. and the, the race car seats. they were actually like really thrilling and interesting and i wasn't expecting that and i think i really like rush i'm gonna put it as my number three
1: worse or I better than rush. uh worse or better than ford versus ferrari because it seems like it's hard not to compare um at
3: least oh, it's for a- me hmm that's a good one. That That's a really close call, actually, because Ford versus Ferrari was good. I think they're yeah. on equal footing. I really do.
1: I do, too. I think that's kind of what I asked. But, I mean, obviously, the subject matter, too. But, yeah, it's a good movie. Eric, what you were yeah. going to expand would on? I probably put
2: Rush on my number four. I mean, how you take a subject matter like car racing, a Formula One racing, I couldn't possibly care any less <laughs> about cars <laughs> or car racing right. or or, you know, competitive almost you know anything like that it possibly i could could possibly care any less and i've hated films that have have took a shot at the subject matter like days of thunder and, Mm and driven these are these are not good films but somehow ron howard's dedication to character uh story atmosphere and the technicalities of film make it a you know a great kind of power play movie between Now, I love movies about rivals. Anytime there's like a movie that centers on two people that are rivals, I love those. And this is like one of the best ones for me, period, hands down. Um, Chris Hemsworth is an actor I scratch my head at nowadays. And I always have to remember, well, remember Rush. Remember Rush. This guy actually can act because he's so (laughs) good as James Hunt in it. Uh, I would love to see it again, revisit it, because I think it's an amazing achievement. Probably his last great film.
3: Hmm. yeah it's actually rated higher on imdb than frost nixon it gets an 8.1 so that's,
1: people love this movie
3: yeah i i agree with eric i couldn't care less about car racing and i i really enjoyed it. have you seen it travis
1: yeah but it was a one and done for me
3: i'll ah. i'll see
1: i'll see for i'll see Ford versus ferrari again in my life almost certainly but uh, <laughs> uh rush rush was an entertaining evening but it didn't it didn't have like an emotional effect on.
3: <laughs> an entertaining evening <laughs> i don't know why that's so funny Hey, I had a good time, but you know, it's just that one time we had an entertaining evening. There will yeah, no, not be any more entertaining evenings. With I've only
1: day. got so many two-hour blocks in my life, you know. I mean,
3: oh, <laughs> well, you're telling me, man, you're right. <laughs> uh, the guy right. <laughs> the the Eric, what about you? What's your final chance
2: listen, listen, you know, you know, I, I'm going there. All right, I'm going there. I don't care what anybody says, and I know I'm going to get some flack from the from, from the community, and I'm going to talk about a movie that kind of. It kind of—I know they both star Tom Hanks. You know where I'm going oh, with this. Oh yeah. And yeah, no, no. I, I'm, just, I'm just <laughs> going to go out there and say it. Okay. Apollo 13, I think, is my favorite <laughs> film.
3: Someone was going to. All right. Um, I thought you were going Angels and Demons or something. That was funny.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, Inferno. Inferno, guys. See, it's amazing. Um, it's blast. Yeah, I, I I think hands down this is his crowning achievement. It's it's a crop pleaser. it's fun, it's inspirational without, in my opinion, falling into sappiness. It's saccharine, but I don't think it falls into out and out sappiness because I think there's I think there's an earnest screenplay in the way of the storytelling, the way he handles the actors, the technical aspects of the film, and the true story that cannot be denied. I want you guys to find every engineer who designed every switch, every circuit, every transistor, and every light bulb that's up there. Then I want you to talk to the guy in the assembly line who actually built the thing. Find out how to squeeze every amp out of both of these goddamn machines. I want this mark all the way back to earth with time to spare. We never lost an American in space. We're sure as hell not going to lose one on my watch. Failure is not an option. There's not a lot of historical liberties here. Uh and it's just a fun movie to watch. I've seen it a million times.
3: Yeah, I've seen it a lot too. It's a I agree. Well, Apollo 13 it's a rock solid film. Uh it's kind of bland for me because they're just stuck in space and I'm waiting for them to come home. But it's all done <laughs> really, really well. I, I agree. Yeah. Travis.
1: If I was making like the uh, like a list of like the most like the biggest hits or like most influential or like whatever type movies from the nineties, I would certainly put that on there. I mean, it was an important movie, well regarded in its time. Uh, it's not one I myself have returned to, mm-hmm. but um, I respect it for what it did, especially for uh, it, it was quite a, it was a really good cast as well. So uh, yeah, it was nice oh, yeah. a lot of those guys working together.
3: Yeah, I agree. That's a good choice, Eric. I, I got no beef with it, but I, I oh yeah, Travis, you summed it up quite well. Yeah, it's it's culturally relevant and it's solid, but uh, I don't like watching it over and over again. I admit that. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I feel too. Hey, Travis, how about you? Are you going to go there? Yeah, already, I kind of hinted I, 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 at it. I
1: got my I got my third. It, it is a that's controversial up. choice, I think. Controversial oh, for a couple reasons: one, because it's not the most well-received movie, and two, because he did not direct it alone. I am saying solo. A Star Wars movie is my oh. third favorite Ron Howard
3: movie. Ah, damn it! I thought you going to say Gung Ho? Because that's why I took Gung Ho off my list.
1: Gun, Gung <laughs> Ho was. No, I'm sorry, Gung Ho was my, uh, Gung Ho Gung Ho. By, uh, my honorable mention. That was that would be my number four, probably. What thought Gung Ho? Um, I love Michael Keaton, so it's it's fun. But but Solo is Star Wars. I tell you what, man, I have watched Solo already way more times than I'll probably ever watch um, uh, Force Awakens. Like Force Awakens is fun, but it's you know it just feels so derivative and kind of like okay that I don't need to watch it over again. But like Solo, I can throw that one on, and it's also one of those movies I'll throw in, like I'll watch half of it and I won't finish it, and that's fine. Or maybe I will finish it a few days later. Like it's just it's just kind of like a fun. Uh, I you know it's just a fun adventure movie that that covers a lot of ground for me in terms of being entertaining, and um, that's the end of my defense for that movie because I know a lot of people hate it. But I think it's good.
3: Wow, uh, my blood just boils though because you brought up the Force <laughs> Awakens and I think of that whole trilogy and wh- it's just going to look like such a joke in the next twenty years. I'm telling you, it's going to look like <laughs> it garbage. Does. It does, and it's just going to get worse. It's not going to get better.
1: But I'll stand by Last Jedi until I die.
3: Yeah, I you know well I don't. Well, let's not do that. But yeah, I actually agree <laughs> with you there. But let's
1: okay. Well, yeah, I don't want to do that
3: either. But, I, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah.
1: But solo, that's I think it's I think it's a I think it's a overly villainized movie. That's a lot of fun.
3: Yeah, it really wasn't that bad. If you ask most people, they're they're just not outwardly saying it. But if you actually ask them, no, oh, solo, yeah, it wasn't bad. It's was pretty decent. I, I agree. Solid. I sat in the theater.
2: There was literally this was opening night of a Star Wars movie, and there was literally probably three people in the entire theater me and two other people so I got naturally I got up and you know sat wherever I wanted to but (laughs) when it was over I could not believe how surprised that was I was I, I I was scratching my head because this is a fun smart unique different take and when it comes to you know taking a character that everyone knows and loves and and saying hey this is how it all started that is almost considered sacrilege when it comes to a character like Han Solo, who everyone thinks uh, they know everything about, especially in the guise of someone like Harrison Ford. And you've got a charming, fun performance by Alden Ehrenreich. You've yeah. got great supporting characters with Woody Harrelson and, and um, oh my God, yeah. Donald Glover. And you got a really fun and script by, by Larry Kasdan and his son. Um, yeah, I, this is one of the better Disney Star Wars efforts, in my opinion, if not the best.
1: I would not be surprised to see it um, over time come to be held in higher regard, maybe than even like the last three. Because um, Rogue One, I think a lot of people in Mandalorian, a lot of people will, will definitely will just say like these are among the best of the newer stuff, and that's not a, not very controversial, virtual statements. But and, but Solo might, especially since the you know people like there's a lot of mixed reactions to the the new trilogy that solo might come to be remembered a little bit better than it seems like it will be now
3: yeah i agree it just got caught up in that post last jedi backlash it wasn't necessarily fair to that film so but yeah ron howard has had a quite a career uh i feel real bad now that i didn't choose gung-ho but the choices were tough that's how tough it is with ron howard gung-ho is a great movie it's from 1986 if you've never seen it go back and see it i just want to throw that out there it's it is a yeah. really a time capsule film because it takes you back to the eighties, that seventies, eighties period when unions maybe started slowly losing their grip on their power in the structure of the car industry and really other industries. Yeah. I think it's a, it's really interesting. And it's also about like, you know, ethnocentrism and Japan there was this bad guy, but you know, they're just like us. You learn a lot from the film. I think it's it's a yeah. really underrated film.
1: And uh and T V ain't bad either. Oh yeah, and TV's
2: good. I never
1: <laughs> saw hey, that
2: one. Bad. That's not bad. Yeah, film didn't... critic uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum hit it on the head. He calls Ron Howard an exemplar of honorable mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. He, he he's a versatile director. He's I think this might be the best way to put it a wholly capable director, but he's had <laughs> he's had some misses. I mean. Like, the paper is, like, one of the, like, I cannot stand this movie for a lot of different reasons. And uh, I think Ron Howard's worst movie is The Grinch. I have to watch this, like, three yeah, times every Christmas. Every single oh. time I have to watch this, it's, like, bot- like botched cosmetic surgery. It's It's a nightmare <laughs> to have to sit through. It never ends. And it's it's so sloppy, and I just can't cannot believe that Ron Howard was behind the camera.
3: <laughs> wow, I was actually oh, yeah. just going to mention I'd never seen that, but now you I haven't seen it still. So it kind of looks like oh, the paper might be interesting now. But now you just said that it's terrible. I hate the
2: paper. Anytime there's a movie about like a newspaper
3: and like behind the scenes at a paper. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. wait a minute. I'm oh, okay. Sorry.
2: I hate all of them.
3: Oh, then we just disagree fundamentally. Then I, never mind. I'm gonna watch it because I yeah, love Spotlight. I like. I even like the the Post. I even like.
2: Post. No, I, I don't I even like the the post. all the President's Men or the
3: Post. Any oh, I love all the President's Men.
2: The paper is so boring.
3: Oh God! All right, let's not argue Especially about that. Yeah, yeah. Let's next. Let's, let's, right. let's move it on. <laughs> Hey, Stop you, making uh,
2: newspaper movies.
3: <laughs> if you have a newspaper movie that you love, that you would like to tell Eric about, please write in at <laughs> Cinema9Pod on Instagram or email us, Cinema9Pod at ProtonMail.com. We're on Twitter, Facebook, all the various medias where you waste your time every day, just like I do. Newsies, so dumb. Gentlemen, that's <laughs> now time. We're going to take a look. And does it hold up the 2001 film, Johnny Darko.
0: Johnny Darko.
1: Oh yeah, Johnny Darko.
2: Johnny <laughs> Darko.
3: So, uh, Travis, let's get it going here. Johnny Darko, opening comments. How did Oof. you feel about watching it? Have you you've probably seen this movie more than once? I believe.
1: Okay. Yeah. I have have a lot of feelings. I think, I think you guys do do too. I I feel like this might be one of the longer episodes already. (laughs) Um, So, you know, Die Darko is one of those movies that uh, when it came out, I, you know, I very much had this, this great soundtrack that was already filled with songs that I loved. And so it already kind of felt like mine in a way anyways, you know? Um, So I, 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 you know, and also like, you know, I'm 21 when it comes out so I can identify with a surly emo kid star and so I really liked this movie and loved it and watched it a lot and a lot and a lot. And then, uh, and I liked the ambiguity of it. And then the director's cut came out and I bought the director's cut. but I watching it just, just, I'm just like, this is going to be amazing. You know? And it was one of those rare, like, 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 you know, like when you watch a sequel, like when I, like when I saw the sequel to Crow, like Crow two cities of angels, city of angels, I never watched <laughs> Crow one again. I love the Crow one, but I still haven't watched it since I saw that. And until I watched Donnie Darko yesterday, I had not watched Johnny Darko since I watched that director's cut because it was so fucking awful and it just like ruined the movie in a lot of ways for me um, that I just got turned off the movie and didn't, and didn't watch it for a long time. So it was really nice to come back to it and I really enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to talking more about it.
3: Eric?
2: I mean, remember 2001... Like, I do. Um, yeah. When you look Pretty back well. at the movies of this era, like um, a lot of auteurs were popping out, and I think it was a, a fairly good time for like indie cinema. Not so much mainstream cinema at all, because 2000 and 2001 were a couple of the most dull years in cinema. But when it came to auteurs, you had Memento, you had like Requiem for a Dream, Ghost World, you had Amelie and Mulholland Drive, and uh, Tenenbaums. And when Donnie Darko came out, remember we 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 weren't even really sure what we were to make of it. We knew it had a great soundtrack. Yeah. Um and we we all loved. remember how fun it was back in the day to like have theories and like explanations about like weird ass movies like this and how <laughs> we get into it for hours and hours. So that's one of one of these movies that I really remember loving when I was around 21 or so 2021 so it absolutely cements itself and stands and stands the test of time as far as a milestone film is concerned mm-hmm. but I haven't seen it in like 15 years mm. so I don't know why that is but you know I'm excited to talk about it because I got a, I got a lot from it this on this viewing Mike what did you think
3: well, real quick, uh, the year 2000, the top 10 grossing films, uh, uh, number two is Gladiator. I've watched that since. Castaway, I love Castaway, was three. Uh, Meet the oh, Parents was seven. So good. Perfect Storm was eight. X-Men was nine. So I don't know if that holds up, but we don't, we're don't. we not here to argue about whether auteurs or the mainstream <laughs> ruled the day. I just wanted to give some counter information. But as far as Donnie Darko goes, guys, came out in 2001, and it gets an 8.0 on IMDb, and then the audience and critics score pretty tight, 87 and 80. That's, uh, again, just like Wonder Boys last week, a very similar scores yeah. on both sides. So that's that's intriguing. And as far as some of the criticisms from the film industry or the critics at that time, in 2001, good old Roger Ebert said, the setup and development is fascinating. The payoff, less so. 2.5 out of 4. Oh, that's too bad. Mm. Uh, Elvis Mitchell of the New York Times said, Kelly is unable to give the kind of pacing that would make us laugh and shock us simultaneously. Because he's too infatuated with an aura of hand-me-down gloom. Wow. Whoa, whoa,
1: whoa. Usually I like Elvis. (laughs) Uh,
3: A positive note from the Washington Post by Destin Thompson. He said, It flutters like a mischievous butterfly above the despairing hands of easy description. Wow. Wow. That is is deep. (laughs) What a beautiful man. And then uh, lastly, from the New York Post and engaging time-tripping Holden Caulfield. Woo, weird. Oddly mm. enough, oh, they,
1: they made that connection, wow.
3: Yeah, they did. <laughs> wow. And oddly enough, the next year, Jake Gyllenhaal would play a character that he tried to model after Holden Caulfield in 2002's The Good Girl, which is a really underrated film, by the way. Is that Bubble Boy? No. No, The Good oh. Girl is totally different from Bubble oh, Boy. Much, oh. much better film. Jennifer Aniston, Jake Gyllenhaal. John C. Riley, check it out. We kind of flew under the radar back then, but as far as Donnie Darko, it was good. yeah, it really is. I watched it a couple months ago again. And it's a great film. But this is about Donnie Darko. Does it hold up? Is this movie fun? Is this movie depressing? Is this movie deep? Does this movie kind of play itself out? Is it over the top? When you think of this film, Travis, what are some of the things that you were reminded of when you watched this film? What are some things that stood out to you? Let's let's get into this.
1: What, what stood out to me? Okay. Um, Let's see. Anything? Well, I'd watch, I watched. I just watched um, uh, "Life Is a House" the day before, and which also was 2001, oh, starring God. Jenna Malone with a with a very surly, um, you know, uh, protagonist. Um, so, Hayden so was, Yeah, yeah. So it was a nice double whammy of Jenna Malone dealing with emo boys. That was fun. Um, <laughs> i uh, i like i like the supporting cast um i like I, you know I, I i don't know that like it's the strongest stuff i've ever seen drew barrymore do for instance but i i, I do uh i do like the the supporting cast and i've seen seth rogan pop in and stuff like that you know early stuff for him i like that aspect of it um but what i like most about it you know is you know when i make these notes my notes watching these movies like mostly i'm like um you know it's all very personal or like, or, and, or connected to like the, of uh, the filmmaking itself. But like with this, it's all about the plot. Um, like, you know, even still like, you know, all this time later, I'm still trying, even after I don't, even after I learned more from the director's cut that I wanted to learn, I'm still fascinated by it and like trying to figure out what's going on, trying to make sense of it. Even though the best thing about it is that you can't make sense about it. And if you do make sense about it, then it starts to fall apart. Uh, you don't want to look at it too closely, but, um, but it is fun. To, it's, it's fun to like pick up and play with all these little pieces of the movie.
3: What about you, Eric? What stood out to you from this film watching it again?
2: What surprised me the most about watching this again was the fact that I hear me out here is that I cared much much less about the science fiction aspects and much much more about like the just the relationships and the coming of age story about emotionally troubled youth uh, in fact, I almost didn't really care for any of the like the tangential time travel stuff we can get into mm. all that i remember researching all the theories but
3: get into it think, let's hear it you know i
2: don't i don't think that a lot of that stuff really holds up that well but i think as a kind of a coming age story in a in a, in a movie about a comedy essentially a black comedy about teenagers it had me laughing out loud uh so i was really glad to watch it again um mm. yeah so i mean, it's a bold, respectable effort. And you can't talk about the movie without without talking about probably even more so the guy behind the movie, which we'll end up getting into, but it's unique. There there hasn't been anything like it since. No one's been able to juggle tones this way and this this masterfully, probably since. We're talking about a, a funny coming-of-age high school movie meets like a, a apocalyptic horror okay so how you juggle those and make it coherent and i don't mean which isn't to say that you understand everything that's going on but you aren't bored and you're not constantly like what the fuck where are they going with this you're entertained the whole time and that's not easy
3: well i don't like the time travel aspects at all i don't care about that part of the movie i completely agree with you i'm much more interested in like the psychological struggle, you know, he's supposed to be taking his meds or not. Um, you know, is this the mental health aspect? I, I'm way more interested in that whole thing and you know, maybe he's just a teenager growing up and he's got issues, or maybe he really does need help, you know, he goes to a therapist, a psychologist.
0: What else makes you feel regret? That I did it again. You did it again? I fired my school and I burned out that pervert's house. I only have a few days left before they catch me. Did Frank tell you to do these things? I have to obey him. He saved my life. (laughs) I have to obey him or I'll be left all alone. And then... And then I won't be able to figure out what this is all about. I won't be able to know his master plan. Do you mean God's master plan? Do you now believe in God? I have the power to build a time machine.
3: How is that possible? How is time travel possible, Donnie?
0: Time's up, Frank said.
3: I'm way more, I completely agree with you. Travis, do you like the time travel aspects? The, The maybe beyond reality aspects of this film?
1: I, I do, and I like to think about him. But yeah, I I I really was surprised how much I was interested in that mental health uh, theme this viewing more than anything else. I mean, particularly the fact that like his psychiatrist is a total quack. I mean, hypnotherapy, what the fuck?
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> right.
1: uh And and also, uh, there was one line in the movie that stood out to me that never really had before, which is um, early in the movie, um, his mother, what's her name, Mary McConnell, is that her
3: name?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, she, she 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 comes in to talk to him, and she goes, you know, where what happened to my son? Where did my son go? And he's like, I don't know. Why don't you take the fucking meds and you see where how you feel or something along those lines? And so we get a sense that like you know, yeah, he's got a disturbed past, but like the things that he's going through and everything that he's dealing with beyond like you know basic hormones and like circumstantial stuff, it, is it his mental health issues or is it the medication and the quack therapy that he's being subjected to?
3: Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm way more interested in like the uh, <laughs> the Bush Dukakis stuff and all that. I, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this film actually focused on that. It takes you, this movie does a great job of putting you in a time and place in the late 80s where it seems like, oh, everything's pretty good, but it's still not good enough. And people, this dissatisfaction versus discontentment that goes on between the family and their own household is, it's kind of played off in that way. That kind of, it, it really impresses me.
2: Well, the whole aspect of adults in this movie, for some reason, I thought was a lot more interesting than than when I was, uh, you know, in my early twenties watching this. Because
1: yeah.
2: most of the adults come off of the come off as these people that just aren't able to properly protect these kids. Their advice, you know, their advice is a little bit off, all over the place, or they don't want to give it. In the case of the teacher. Um, The the hypnotherapist clearly is this untrustworthy person that, you know, the scene leads to complete comedy when he's talking about like beating off to like Christina Applegate, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) But when you think about like professionals and adults that are supposed to protect you and parental control, uh, I don't think they make enough movies about how dangerous adults can be for kids. They do it, you know, with a tongue in cheek here, but you've got. Mrs. Farmer, played by Beth Grant, brilliantly.
1: Oh my God! On yeah, yeah. this
2: show that sexualizes these kids, where she thinks you know she's she's Mother Teresa. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um. So yeah, that was really interesting to me. It's it's subtext, but it's a lot more interesting than the fucking futuristic like Microsoft <laughs> Paint, Adobe After Effects blobs floating around. <laughs>
1: um yeah man i agree i um the intergenerational conflict in this movie w- 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 was another thing that like you know for as many times as i watched it when i was young i didn't pick up on as much and yeah i was really focused in mm-hmm. on that this time as well like the fact that like everybody like fails their fails these kids like over mm-hmm. and over again with this assumption that they're either like just doing their job or doing it well mm-hmm. except for like right. i except for the parents like his parents are good parents which i like that they're not shitty parents both of them are good people but they fail too in their own ways so it's like it's like the whole system is like designed to like fail the kids um except for there are like these highlighted people like like drew barrymore's character and noah wiley's character who are like these like bridges that try to like improve things and make things better but they're limited right like he like noah wiley has to be like look i'd like to talk to you more about this subject but i can lose my job because we're talking about god um or or like um or the fact that uh, Drew Barrymore gets fired by trying to expose these kids to Graham Green right, and this kind of stuff. So, um, so they're extremely limited and even the best of them, like, again, like Drew Barrymore and Mary McConnell, like there's a lot of the, the, the phrase, like, uh, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. Like every tell them everything's going to be fine. That, that phrase keeps coming up through the movie, even though like no one knows if everything's going to be okay. Like the best intention of the adults still like are, uh, you know, pretty, ineffective ultimately and that really stood out to me too it
3: surprised me yeah patrick swayze thinking Uh of ineffectual adults he's the (laughs) atypical example in this film i really give him a lot of credit for playing this role and uh, putting his putting his name on this because i mean well let's be honest like his career was kind of in the shitter at this point if you look what he had been doing in the last seven to eight years it was hell on earth which is unfortunate because i love Patrick. yeah absolutely but,
1: but you took a chance, and like it really paid off.
3: Yeah, this did. This kind of uh, gave him a little street cred, if you will, and people are like, oh wow, look what he can do. This, this is still he still got it. It's unfortunate that he died young, but I love the fact that he plays this guy in this film, and that Donnie goes right after him. He sees him for the fraud mm. he is. I love exposing people, and that's one of my favorite parts of this movie: is people who try to think that they're the moral majority, they know what's right for everybody. But then deep down there, you know, they're scumbags. And it's yeah. just so, such a satisfying, even though I'd seen this movie many, many times, it was still so satisfying to be like, oh yeah, eat shit, you scumbag. You're a better <laughs> ass. And I knew it.
1: I don't like that he ends up ultimately getting away with it though. You know, like it shows him like crying in his room and shit. Like, oh great. Yeah, sir. But he's still like the, the kitty ring, whatever that he's a part of still exists because like that, that, that's, that's not good. Like that Yeah, but that's but t-
3: what life that happens. That's I love that's I true. kinda like that because Richard Kelly is so honest with his storytelling in this film from every aspect. And I really appreciate that. Because that does bum me out too, but it's like shit. Yeah. Life is kind of like that.
1: I would also like to go back real quick, Eric, to uh Beth Grant. Like this is the movie I think that really put her on the map and like I mean it kind of typecast her, but I mean, when I think of this movie, I think of one line, and I think of sometimes I doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion, which is just still <laughs> the funniest line. Oh lines. yeah! <laughs> it's just the utter sincerity and like the earnestness of this woman. She's all disheveled, and she's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna protect Jim Cunningham. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand up for this because the community's trying to, trying to drag this great man down." And, and it's just like, and she thinks, yeah, like she's Mother Teresa, and it's like, oh my god. And she plays like she, it's, 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 it's. Well, one of the great performances of her career.
3: She doesn't say she's in Little Miss Sunshine doing, like, she's done this character a few times. It's funny. Same, really yeah. yeah. She freaks out and
2: does the same thing. But I, the scene especially, I mean, yet she thinks she's doing the right thing, okay? When she goes to Donnie Garko's mother's door and confronts Donnie's mother... Who, I'm sorry, but I have never liked Mary McDonald. She always has that fucking catatonic look on her face the entire movie. Every time she's in a movie, I agree. She's, I agree. she's telling she's her. She's not all my favorite and, actor. Yeah, and and, and you know, Donny Donner's D- D- Mark. She she doesn't you know she doesn't react that that much to it, and she doesn't have that much conviction as a as a perfect stranger. So again, all of these dolls think they're protecting these people. They are protecting shit. All right, it's quite the <laughs> contrary.
3: Yeah, you, I just and think he, how sneakers is... And,
2: and you got someone like, like, I'm sorry, Mike, but like the Noel Wiley character, they, who I think is good in the role, but, you know, it just goes to show you, you can, like, even in, as an educator, I know that you have to be caring and careful uh, as a mentor.
0: No, I think what you're talking about is um, an act of God. Well, if God controls time, then all time's predecided. I'm not following you. Like every living thing follows along a set path. And if you could see your path or channel, then you could see into the future, right? Like, uh, doubt's a form of time travel. Well, you're, you're contradicting yourself, Donnie. If we were able to see our destinies manifest themselves visually, then we would be given a choice to betray our chosen destinies. And the mere fact that this, this choice exists would make all preformed destiny, uh come to an end? Not if you travel within God's channel. Um, I'm not going to be able to continue this conversation. Why? I could lose my job.
2: He goes to Donnie and says, take my advice, read this book. And then when Donnie asks him one simple question, he has to throw his hands up. It's Not a simple ears.
1: question. So, it's not a simple question. He he asks. He he start. He works at a Catholic school, and he starts asking them questions about God and fate and free will. It's not a simple question.
2: It's it may not be simple, but he he says he can't. Just like you said, he says I could lose my job.
1: So he's he right. Offer
2: to talk about it somewhere else. He doesn't. You know, he
1: can't talk about it somewhere else. You're still a teacher, even if you wherever you do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I get your, I'm just saying like, I get your point, but I mean, like I'm saying the limitations aren't necessarily the characters. Sometimes it's the circumstances of the system.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's still, it's probably the only person Donnie goes to that's an adult and he says, you know, I need your advice. I need your help. And he says, I can't do it. So I'm just talking about adults in general, throwing their hands up and and leading this guy down a a particular path.
3: (laughs) Hey man, it's all about cunning visions, cunning visions. Man, it's so good. I love Patrick Swayze in this film. I love, I love Beth. Every every character has a great role in this film, and even if it's smaller, tiny, even the uh, the girl getting picked on that Donnie stands up for.
1: Oh yeah, you know. yeah, she's oh. really good in that. Sharita, um, yeah, it's a character's I name. It.
3: Yeah. yeah I, so I kind of want to talk about uh, favorite scenes, characters that we enjoyed in this film. I I, I think that what you said earlier, Travis, was. It alludes to my favorite scene. It's hard for me to argue that the whole tears for fear scene, the way it's done, the the whole opening of the song and the choreographed setup, it's so, it's almost out of context for the film, but it fits right into this film so wonderfully.
1: And, you know, that's one of the things I really hated about the director's cut is I'm pretty sure that he changed the music for that scene. I know he changed the... Yeah. i know he changed under the milky way or i think it was under the milky way tonight later on like the climax like when they're at the party i think he, i know he changed that song but i'm pretty sure he changed head over heels too and it just like felt like such a betrayal like this is like this is this, what are you doing like this this is the scene like this is the fucking scene of the movie and right. and, and, and and you and you get to inter- it's one of those great introduction scenes you get to learn all about the characters without anyone even really talking like you can't hear anything everyone's saying uh yeah i like that scene too um as far as my favorite scene of the movie goes, though, is that is that the question at hand? Sure. Or am yeah, I just favorite. talking about that scene? Uh, let, me scene think about let me think about it for a second. Eric, you can jump in if you
2: My favorite you want scene to.
1: is... Yeah, thank you. Um, going back, I mean, my
2: favorite scene is with Patrick Swayze when Donnie confronts him uh, at the yeah. assembly. <laughs> I spent, you know, I spent like when, when Swayze first showed up, I, I was kind of, you know, rolling my eyes. I was like, Patrick you're a leading man why are you in this go back to these big roles like we need you now more than ever because I love Patrick Swayze he's so good and and the fact that he signed up to play a fucking you know pederast who yeah. who's written down your lead character um it, it says so much about him because he supported the project and he let them film on his his ranch in California to do the infomercial scenes and he really cool. supported the project As did Drew Barrymore, who produced it. It wouldn't have happened without her. But yeah, the scene where Jake Gyllenhaal is confronting Patrick Swayze at the Assembly says it all. That's why I sometimes wish someone would make a fan edit and get rid of all this fucking multi-universe bullshit and just make an honest coming-of-age story because I, I love that part. And a lot of it is Jake Gyllenhaal himself. I remember him being kind of like this dopey dopey kid with the same fucking look on his face from like October Sky and Bubble Boy but you look at this role especially here in 2020 he's so good in it he's he's played vulnerable and damaged in subsequent films but never liked this you know what I mean so he was committed to character even back then and he, I, I love him in this but yeah I love that scene
1: and it's been fun watching him become a better actor since then as well um yeah yeah, i I think i'd agree with you guys those are probably both the two standout scenes that i would that come to my mind as well i mean the theater scene is intense too the bathroom scene when he's when he's banging on the wall or in the mirror that scene's pretty intense but i actually Hmm. if i had to pick another favorite scene other than the two you guys just mentioned i would say it's the uh it's opening dinner scene the suck a fuck scene um it's just the interaction between that like that like like the, the, like, all those characters just do really, those actors all just do really, really well together, especially of course, uh, Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal. And uh, it's just so fucking funny. It's, it's just, I just believe that they're a family. And I, I think it makes sense, it's smart casting to hire an actual brother and sister um, to give like your, your family uh, dynamic feel like a, a real believable vibe.
0: I'm voting for Dukakis.
3: Hmm. Well, maybe when you have children of your own who need braces and you can't afford them because half of your husband's paycheck goes to the federal government, you'll, uh, regret that. My
0: husband's paycheck? (laughs) Oh. Oh. Anyway, I'm not going to squeeze one out until I'm, like, 30. Will you still be working at the yarn barn? Because I hear that's a really great place to raise children. That's really funny. No, I think a year of partying's enough. She'll be going to Harvard next fall. Mom, um, I haven't even gotten in yet. Do you honestly think Michael Dukakis will provide for this country till you're ready to squeeze one out? Yeah, I do. Hmm. When can I squeeze one out? Not until eighth grade. Excuse me. Donnie, you're such a dick. <laughs> Whoa, Elizabeth. A little hostile there. Maybe you should be the one in therapy. Then mom and dad can pay someone $200 an hour to listen to all your thoughts, so we don't have to. Okay. You want to tell mom and dad why you stopped taking your medication? You're such a fuck ass. (laughs) What? Please. Did you just call me a fuck ass? Elizabeth, that's enough. You can go suck a fuck. Oh, please tell me, Elizabeth, how exactly does one suck a fuck? (laughs) You want me to tell you? Please, tell me. We will not have this at the dinner table. Stop.
3: What's the fuck-ass? <laughs> <laughs> it's important to also recognize that this film came out in the uh, massive shadow of 9-11, so it wasn't really... In terms of making a big <laughs> cultural impact at that moment, it wasn't going to hit the mainstream because people mm-hmm. probably just weren't in the mood for that or whatever, even though I'm always in the mood for it. I, I don't care what's going on in the rest of the world. But, you know, as a whole, the movie was kind of limited by that at the time, so it, it took a while for this movie to gain some traction, but
1: I at would disagree. Age- I- Go ahead, So
3: well, I was saying, at the age we were at, though, you know, all three of us, you know, we're just in our early twenties, just turned twenty-one, twenty years old. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. perfect for. I don't want to speak for everyone here, but I think you know, I was perfect for that age. For me, I was all about it. Yeah. But maybe if you were, no, older, say, no, this is Bogus.
1: You know, I think, I think, I think that. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't. It wasn't like an overall smash hit, but amongst our age group, which was pretty much a target demographic, I would say, I would, I think, I feel like it quickly rose to cult status. Yeah, very I agree. quickly,
2: and I think it deserves to be there. I mean, yeah, yeah, it made no money. The the, run, the young director Richard Kelly, probably twenty five, which is fucking unbelievable when you think about a movie of this magnitude. And good point. Um, not really going anywhere after this, probably due to his own. I think he shot himself in the foot by being such a versatile. Filmmaker because he could not get a lot of his other scripts produced. Did you guys see Southland? Southland
1: Tales? Tales. Woo. Yeah, did
2: you see it. Wow. I think, yeah, I saw I think, it. Uh,
3: I think I had that on DVD, but I never actually watched it. Something else. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I never saw it. Is it worth a? Is it worth a damn? Some people say ah, give it's... it a shot, dude. Is it, 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 it's, uh, go ahead. It's
1: worth it's worth seeing, um, but only because like it's so, it's almost so bad it's good. You know, Ooh. it's but but like it's it is like but it's also almost good in a weird way like I mean like it's it's it was a really early rock role, um, you know, in Dwayne Johnson. Uh, and it was one of the first like dramatic type turns that he did. And and also um Kelly was smart in that he um he hired established good actors but he hired comedic actors to do dramas so there's a like, like there's a bunch of people like sherry O'Terry and i think uh, john lovitz they're playing like dramatic roles in this movie and they and they do good um so it, it is worth seeing but it's such a bonkers script and just a little more ambitious in its budget that it um it, it does kind of like it's not there's a reason why people don't talk about it the way they talk about Diane darko <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, aside from Southland Tales, he made the the box. Fucking uh, Frank, we're talking about Frank Langella, Frank Langella, Cameron mm. Diaz, James Marsden movie. No one fucking that was saw. I saw that. Um, I knew it was him. Yeah, he did it. He's been toiling. I actually had to look him up because I'm like, how the fuck is this guy making money? Because he couldn't have gotten paid uh, even on Donnie Darko. But he hasn't made a movie since the box. He's been trying to get a Rod Serling. Buy a pick off the ground, which I think would be amazing, because that's a really yeah. complicated figure in the history of television. Mm-hmm. But but other than that, I you know I, it's a shame. It's a shame because that's a unique talent, uh kind of under the thumb of the whole, you know, bureaucratic red tape of the Hollywood system.
1: I honestly think that Southland Tales probably derailed him because he, it was it was such a misfire. Um, mm-hmm. For a sophomore effort after Dying Darko, mm-hmm. and then I and you know this is conjecture, but like, and I don't think the director's cut helped either, because they let yeah. people know like, oh, this is what you would do if right. you were all on your own, if you had free reign, you you do Southland Tales, and you would do, you would do, uh, you would do a not so great take on your own movie. So um, yeah, I, I feel like he's, I, I feel, I'm, I'm grateful for Dying Darko. I don't necessarily feel like he had a ton more to offer.
3: This movie could have been different. Uh, as far as the director's cut that you mentioned, Travis, apparently, <laughs> according to Mr. Kelly himself, the director, he said that he considered it more of a special edition, and that it was he liked the way the movie came out originally. But according to him, the premiere that came out in Sundance in 2001 was it was longer and was closer to what you see in the director's cut. But it's not what he wanted to be the final cut in the sense. So it, there's like mis- mixed messages on his part whether he wanted this director's cut to actually be a more honest presentation of the film or not because the length goes back to what he wanted to have with the Sundance release but not what you get with the actual theatrical release so very bizarre
2: imagine yeah, imagine watching like 2001 A Space Odyssey and it gets to the scene where all the apes are touching the monolith and the music swelling and then all of a sudden text comes on the screen that explains exactly what the fucking monolith is. <laughs> and why it's exactly. in the movie that's exactly that's the director's cut up. of donnie darko
1: yeah that's <laughs> it right there and, Whoa, and, it, and, it, and it ruined the end too i mean like he went he out of his way to explain exactly what's happening at the end i'm like oh well so there was no sacrifice great okay in that case what the fuck do i care anymore for
3: <laughs> <laughs> and all yeah also uh vince vaughn turned down the part he was ready to take he could have been given the part of donnie no but he turned shit. it down yes um uh, Imagine what that oh. film would have been like with a younger Vince Vaughn at that time. <laughs> Which,
1: he was—he would already have been like too freaking old for that. He would 2001. I mean, that was after Swingers.
3: Yeah, it was five years later, it's ridiculous. Yeah,
1: he, yeah, he would have been—he would have been like a thirty-year-old man playing this kid. Uh,
3: Jason <laughs> Schwartzman was also considered. That would have been interesting, maybe. Jason Schwartzman. I could see. Yeah, him a little him too
1: there. soft, but yeah, he, he, like because Jake Gyllenhaal, I believe that he could kill. I don't think that I don't. I don't think Jason Schwartzman's going to kill anybody in his life no offense
3: to either one of these gentlemen that's a good point but you know in the end i don't care the ending changed great i don't care about the ending i just i like the the ride of the film more than anything else uh you know the whole the whole jet engine falling through the house thing did that happen did that not happen i mean it does happen yeah but like but then like they try to like recreate reality in it to me it's not clear i i really don't see it that way the way the whole movie plays out i don't i'm not sure that it's reality i really have always felt that way
1: so he doesn't die he doesn't get crushed and all the stuff that happens at the end with jenna malone ma- waving at mary mcconnell none of that's happening
3: yeah i seriously don't know because it gets so caught up in all these alternate realities and time traveling things well I you know what
1: no, i think you raise a good po- i think you raise a good point because one of the things i noticed watching this movie and then I, and i think it's really brilliant is that like you're used to the idea of the unreliable narrator but like, this is something else, this is an unreliable narrator, but it's like the narrator is not narrating, it's just his perspective, because you're following that protagonist. And oh, so like, not only do you not know, like, which timeline is correct or accurate or supposed to be happening or what, like, you also don't know, like, is he sane or is he not? Is this actually happening or is it not? And if he is insane, is it, is it something that's happening to him? Or is it because of the, the, the medicine, the drugs and, and, and the, you know, the, the ill effects of his therapist? Um, And that's brilliant. I mean, that's really, like, there's a lot of layers going on with that uh, idea right
2: there. (laughs) You know, it's the big difference between music and movies. Like, a a song doesn't have to explain itself. In fact, most, most songwriters will never tell you what their song's about, if they have any sense to them anyway. And what Richard Kelly did with his director's cut is basically say... Yeah, you know, Donnie Darko, he's got to he's got to uh save the universe by by having these characters come into his life so he can stop the future. When you know what this, the story is about, it makes it so much less interesting. That's why we all loved it when we were twenty, twenty one because we could talk to each other about it. Okay, um, so so it's sad that that came out, and I don't care about any of that science fiction stuff either, Mike. But you know. If we're talking about holding up as we kind of head to the finish line of the conversation, f- for me, it's everything but besides the science fiction stuff, just like I said before, um, you guys. So I don't know what else needs to be said.
3: Yeah. Well, the, I. To me, the movie holds up because it's still entertaining, and that's, and the themes, all the themes are really quite relevant. Like we said, the mental health aspect and people trying to, uh, you know, cun, Cunning scumbags ripping people off. Cunning visions is really him trying to one-up everybody and scum everybody. He doesn't yes. believe this stuff, and he's just trying to make money off of it. So the, mm-hmm. the uh, snake oil salesman, if you will, goes back you know centuries, and I think really the movie does hold up. I, I, have, I will watch this movie again and again from time to time, maybe not every you know, month, but it certainly gives me laughs, makes me think, and that's really all I can ask for.
1: I agree. I th- the themes, I think, are, like, I'm glad you brought that up, because I think that they're really timeless. That, um, the class that I'm wrapping up teaching right now, like, I, I, in in brief, we look at, like, civilization and through literature, like, ancient literature, and, like, some of the most classic enduring themes are thing like, things like uh, fate versus free will, our dreams prophecy, um, you know, what are, uh, you know, coming-of-age stories. Like, all this stuff is, like, really coming to play in this movie, which, uh, and, and also being given a very unique spin, which I like. There are things that um, like, I think it does kind of start to get a little rough around the third act. I mean, like when they leave the party, like he's just like, oh, we got, we got to go. We have to hurry really fast. And, and all of his friends are like, oh, okay. Like we have to hurry, let's go. And we, where, are we, where are we going? I'm not going to ask. We're, we're going to go to Grandma Death's house and break into her basement. We're going to commit a little B&E for no reason. Yeah, I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm just going to do that. <laughs> oh, and, these, and these, there's these guys, Seth Rogen, is in there with a knife? What the fuck is he doing? And so there's, a, there's things that start to happen where I'm like, why does – and why? But again, like if you scrutinize too clo- – like that's the fun of the movie is scrutinizing. But if you scrutinize too closely, then maybe it doesn't – hold up super great um but it is it is a fun movie and it's a it's it's a it's a good movie And there's a lot of uh great moments in it and i honestly was kind of expecting before i watched it to to come to you guys and be like "Ah, i don't think it holds up but i i'm happy to say that i feel like it holds up pretty well yeah i'm with you oh
3: that's great i i don't care about the last part of the film either yeah the whole party and i don't care any of that stuff I'm completely with you i really
2: don't they 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 flirt with themes that would be a lot more interesting than the universe having its say on the circumstances. When they're talking about Graham Greene, Donnie Darko himself says, you know, what does he say? He says, destruction is a form of creation, okay? So if, if you had Donnie take it upon himself to do these things to the school, to flood the school, there's some biblical aspects there, Um, It it could be a lot more interesting than him having to reset the universe. I think they discard a lot of tantalizing nuggets that they propose in the beginning, um, as far as story goes. Uh, But, you know, we didn't talk about the cinematography, okay? This guy, Steve Porter, shot the film, and he hasn't really shot anything else of really any merit that I saw on IMDb. Well, you did it good reminds works. a lot of people of like Lynch films, but it really reminds me of Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street, the way it's shot. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to like 80s nostalgia, it doesn't get much better than this. And that's all the rage nowadays. I mean, that's that's all any film wants to do. Let's have the kids on the bikes and have a take place in the 80s.
1: But this does <laughs> it right. Well, I, what, what, oh, sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well one of the things I've been noticing and what we've been watching, because we've been watching a lot of stuff in the late nineties and early two thousands in particular. Yeah. And I feel like this is like really a period when there's like this I don't know if it's like the film stock that was in use or like lighting techniques mm-hmm. or or what, but I really feel like there's a strong difference in quality and like just the it's kind of hard to put my finger on, but but the way that movies look like like mm-hmm. bef- like the like late '90s versus like the, almost immediately, like Wonder Boys feels like a very much a recent, new-looking movie. But like, uh, and and Magnolia did too. But like, just a few years before that, uh, you know, True Romance definitely did does not. And I watched like some other movies recently that like 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 I watched Montana from nineteen ninety eight, and that looks like it looks like it's from forever ago. And mm-hmm. um, but like, I think I think it's interesting because I really feel like. Donnie Darko is the only movie I've watched recently and again like all the fucking movies i watched are basically around Mm -hmm. this time frame Um, that really kind of straddles both (laughs) and like does its own kind of thing and it just really feels like it doesn't feel like a modern movie it doesn't feel like an old 90s movie it just feels exactly like a 2001 movie Mm -hmm.
3: yeah that's a good point well I think we've covered it Donnie Darko seems to generally hold up among all three of us nobody uh, truly bashed it am I correct? correct
2: I think the great irony, like one of the great irony, is like we remember the soundtrack because we had all of these one-hit wonders from Echo and the Bunny Men, and you know, um, that's a little hard. Mad man. World, that that fellow that made Mad World, and uh, Under the Milky Way by the Church, I believe was the name of the band. Yeah. As it turns out, Richard Kelly himself, another one-hit wonder. So, say la vie.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna fight back against your qual uh. uh qualification of any of those people is what search has like four or five out i disagree these are not one-hit wonders but carry on tears for fears they're not a one-hit wonder they had like 20 hits no i didn't i wasn't talking I about everything Jules. you said i was I talking
2: about it. the other guy that made mad world but mainstream hits mainstream hits <laughs> gary Jules. yeah
3: that that move, that's exploded for gary Jules. yeah
1: and that's weird to have your one-hit wonder be a cover that would kind of suck but he's making money so i guess i don't feel too bad
3: for him no never
1: i mean he's probably making money off that
3: hey gary Jules, email us if you're making money off (laughs) your cover we really want to know it was the number one song at christmas 2003 it really blew up after this film so good for you gary Jules. this does it hold up segment is brought to you by us we put in the work and we do for you Please email us to Cinema9Pod at ProtonMail.com if you like what you heard. Do you agree with this film? Is this film trash? Is this film kind of middle of the road? Does it hold up in your opinion? Have you watched Donnie Darko on your own, free of your own volition in the last 20 years? Let us know. This is where we get to the point where we'd like to share with you. We'd like to talk about what we would watch or we would like you to watch because we feel it will be beneficial to you. It's our quarantine picks time. The quarantine still is going on, believe it or not. It's... May 7th and we're still doing it. So, uh, Eric, would you like to open the proceedings? Uh, would you like to give us some recommendations? I've been watching a lot of the old, I've been getting into the old Walt Disney films from the
2: thirties, forties and fifties for some reason. Um, I can't explain to you why, um, but I've been really getting into the history of animation. There's two great documentaries on Disney plus, one of it is from 1995. It's called Frank and Ollie. It's about yeah, the original uh, Disney animators, um, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson, and it gives you a real idea of the type of artistry that came out of the 20th century, pre-digital. Um, you know, and if you're a fan of the you know the history of cinema and animation, I think you will really like this. It's also a really great story about friendship and creativity in general. I uh, followed it up with. Uh, documentary from 2010 called waking sleeping beauty that kind of dives into how the studio was doing in the 1980s and basically after you know the black cauldron it was it couldn't have been worse it was in it was in like cesspool burning ashes smoldering ashes and they were about to sell it to some like guy who owned a soda company um <laughs> really interesting documentary as well it talks about the disney renaissance from 1988 to 1994 so the box of the pound documentaries. The song, Robin Hood is like... movie that was like the last one that worked out for them. Eighty two, uh, you know, you know, fair, fairly a mediocre hit, but yeah, the whole that what? whole that whole history really interests me. Fox and the Hound, eighty two, yeah. and you know,
1: uh, up until up until the Savior of, of Little Mermaid
2: yeah absolutely you got it
1: um i'm interested in those documents see you you're, eric was recommending some document or documentary to me before all this that sounded fucking awful um but those sound those sound more up my alley <laughs> that sound pretty good i might watch those um uh so um my turn um so yeah i mentioned i, I watched life as a house and uh again like that, that was one i'd seen many many times but it had been many years and man that movie There's a reason why Kevin Klein. I believe he won a SAG award for that. Um, uh, Best actor for that, I believe. And um, it's just, I just love Kevin Klein, And that's just a really, it holds up really well. I got emotional multiple times watching that movie, uh, even though I'd seen it so many times. I watched uh, Pretty Pink, Pretty in Pink for the first time. I'd never seen it. Um, i was i was amazed to learn that all these years that there were that all these people that were like pro ducky like i was amazed to learn that they existed and that they were pro ducky like why would you be pro ducky at all ducky fucking sucks um so that's that's my take on that Fuck wow. ducky. um just uh just a just a yeah i i i, I like the movie okay but, but since i didn't grow up with it, it um it's what it, it may have been just too late you know maybe um, it's just been too late it felt like watching something from an alternate dimension
2: just because so I- we don't have to answer all of our uh angry fan mail about why you don't like ducky could you you know for me for my sake talk a little bit about why you don't support this character
1: I, it's simple he's he's a classic nice guy he thinks he's a good person and he thinks that he loves her but he doesn't he He's, uh, he's, he's terrible. The second, the second he sees her even go on a date with someone else, he screams at her and says he's going to end their decades of friendship. Um, uh, like, I mean, like he eventually comes around and he's okay. Like whatever at the end, but like the way he treats her throughout the whole movie really is fucking, I think it's awful. I think he, I think he treats her horrifically. And I can't really imagine why anyone would have ever been pro-duckies. <laughs> That's my take. Okay. Um, as for the, as for what I would like to recommend, though, since uh, just a real quick, uh, I'd never seen three bill three Billbirds outside of uh, Eddie, oh. Missouri. Oh wow! Uh, and wow, and, uh, wow that, that there's a reason why that movie got so much attention and praise. I was really, really impressed by it. I really, uh, the performance was so sound and so solid. And I loved the ending. I loved the moral ambiguity of the movie. Um, there was a there's a lot there to, to really enjoy so um if you hadn't seen that or um if you hadn't seen it come out maybe give uh, give another shot it's a pretty damn good movie oh
3: yeah um, i mean three billboards that's you know martin mcdonough he's always good i love his work did you guys see his oscar-winning short film six shooter it's on
2: youtube no no yeah it, he won the oscar for less live action short film it stars brendan gleason it's huh. really fucking good travis see it immediately
1: yeah, I'll check that reason. out. What else has he done besides three? Oh, he, I, in yeah, Bruges, in Bruges is really good, but Seven Psychopaths yeah. was, a, was a big yeah. mess for me.
3: Yeah, I do not like uh, you, Seven Psychopaths. I've seen it more than once. So. Maybe I need to revisit. Uh, I'm not saying you might like it still. I just, I like, lo- I just like the way it kind of grows on you, and like the more you watch it, you kind of understand it more. I think it's something you need multiple watches on. That's just my opinion. What about you, Mike? Is that it? You good? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm good. It's your turn. Well, uh, let's see. No secrets here. I told you guys this. I watched... Uh, by the way, Lo- Life is a House is a fantastic film. And I, I remember I watched it with Travis the first time I saw it. It was a really powerful film. It's it's not cheesy. It's like tries... It's honest. It's it's. I think it it portrays divorce and teenager who's trying to rebel in every possible way, fairly. It's not about just, oh, some guy's ill. It's not about that. It's a really well-done yeah. film. It also, by the way, directed by... Uh, your pal Eric Erwin Winkler, how about that? <laughs> what? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, Winkler. pictures. <laughs> he directed is <Life laughs> A House in two thousand one. Yeah. What can I tell you? I thought and it going away. It,
1: it really skirts the line of being. You never seen this movie, Eric? It's fantastic. It. I didn't know Erwin yeah.
2: Winkler did it. Yeah, it,
1: it does skirt the line of being pretty cheesy, but um, ultimately, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a, I think it's a really beautiful story about uh, regret and redemption and. It's a lot, of good, a lot of good movies going on. anyway, father, yeah.
2: Father-son movie. I remember, I've never really been that close to my own father, but I remember creeping Does <laughs> he listen? Uh, not, no, 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 no. Not for like any <laughs> weird reasons. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't share this. But... <laughs> no, no, come on. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I Like, we weren't like a I love you, I love you back kind of family. Yeah, but it. like, after I watched that movie, I was... I was just crying my eyes out about kind of the the loss and connection I had with my own father. And I remember Mm -hmm. creeping up the stairs and just kind of opening my mom and dad's room and just like looking at my dad for like almost like two straight minutes. Uh, (laughs) Powerful. Wow. I'm sorry.
1: No, that's, that's beautiful. That's, that's beautiful. Be- I, just, I just imagine you like opening the door and like watching him while he sleeps and like kind of sneaking in on him. But like, <laughs> yeah. but, like but no, I think that, but yeah, no, it's, it's I think that the movie, it, it should make you think about your family and your, and your father and, all, and
3: that that's kind of why stuff. it's a good film. It really yeah. is home with everybody. It's a very powerful film. And by the way, I would take Mary Steenberg over Jenna Malone in a heartbeat in this film. She's such a Mary fox. Wow. She is so about- gorgeous oozing sex appeal mary steen virgin does it she does it in what's eating gilbert grape she does it yes. in this film and i love it all day give me more
1: <laughs> oh, uh but oh, you're what, what, uh, what, what have you been watching mike
3: ah so yeah i watched uh la bamba 1987's la bamba <laughs> of course I'm you did do it i'm Richie! so it's so good i've seen la bamba too many times but it really is quite an accurate film when it comes to biopics and music you know there's buddy holly stories total trash i mean gary Busey got a lot of praise <laughs> for doing buddy holly in that film but the accuracy of the buddy holly story is wildly inappropriate and this film actually does a lot of things that were accurate i did not know certain things about this film were accurate i won't spoil it for you because i want you to watch it if you've never seen it if you can find it check out 1987's la Bamba. also gives at a period of time when maybe you know, Latino culture was not getting enough pub in Hollywood. Mm. This film is dedicated to that and I really appreciated that. Elizabeth Tina, great actress, and Taylor oh, Hackford yes, shows, who was an
2: underrated
1: director.
3: Yeah,
2: that's I, who I, I screwed up
3: last week. Dude, Taylor I said Curtis Hansen directed Officer and Gentleman. I meant oh Taylor Hackford. I mixed Taylor the two I'm together hungry. for some reason.
1: I'm a huge fan of Dolores Claiborne. Like, I think that's one of the most beautiful, I think that's a wonderful movie, and, and that's Taylor Hackford. Oh, Taylor
0: Remember, Hackford, that's where,
3: yeah. He's, I, was I don't know why I mixed him up with Curtis Hanson. I think they look the same. I saw pictures of them once. Anyways, sure. uh, La Bumbo was fun. And then this is way, this is good. This might be hard to find, but there were are episodes on YouTube. I looked it up, and they're there. I don't know if all of them are there, but there was a show that came out on ESPN in 2003, and it was called Playmakers. <laughs> And it was raw. Look at the real world of professional football, and it was so honest and raw that the NFL shut the show down. They never did another season, only because <laughs> the NFL said, what? "You can't. If you want to be uh, producing NFL productions on your network, you're going to shut this show down and never produce it again." So they cl- closed it down. And I've been watching it, and it's a little over the top, but a lot of it is very honest about you know how players are just so addicted to painkillers and inflammatories, and they give up everything. They take off decades of their lives to play this game and politics and all of these things, you know, sexual assault, uh, gay players. This won a glad award in 2004 because it honestly portrayed a man trying to hide his homosexuality in the NFL locker room. It's, mm-hmm. it's actually, uh, it's actually really good. I, I enjoyed it. And I love it even more because the NFL hates it. And if the NFL hates something, I love it even more. Who's in it nobody anybody but the only buddy you would recognize is maybe omar gooding uh cuba's brother who was <laughs> on nickelodeon's uh a nickelodeon show in the early 90s he's not he's also in deadwood he plays uh the son of um oh what's his face is uh like help he, she's the when um when gerald McRaney comes to town uh hearst comes to town in deadwood i don't know if you guys have seen deadwood
1: uh, I love Gerald McRaney in that too, but I don't remember that the.
3: Well, he has like that uh, that woman who changed? like cooks for him and cleans. For- she's he's like. Is yeah, I remember a- her. But she's like a maid to him in a sense, and it's his. Son- he plays his son in that, and he comes in as a hotshot. He's, not- he's around. You've seen his face, Omar Gooding. He's here and there, but that's okay. pretty much it. There is nobody else in the show that I m- recognize. Maybe maybe tiny like character players, but you would not recognize these people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I know less about
2: professional sports than like the common house fly but the way you're describing <laughs> it sounds very tantalizing
3: yeah it's actually i mean beyond who cares about football because there's like hardly any football in it it's just about all behind the scenes stuff so oh i love Anyways. things
1: without football in it
3: <laughs> i bet you do <laughs> panama red so yeah that's uh i'll check that out it's there's episodes on youtube if you're looking for them. that's uh rec- recommendations those are quarantine picks this is the Cinema 9 Podcast. I want to give a shout-out to an emailer that we did not mention. He deserves yeah. praise. Yeah. Uh, Chris sent in an email, and it really got the Ron Howard discussion going. His email was all about his favorite Ron Howard film, which was Backdraft, and his least favorite film was one of Eric's choices, Ransom. So, hmm. And he said the the Grinch was also trash as well. And, Chris, you deserve credit for inspiring the Ron Howard topic, and we'd like to give you praise. Thank you for emailing the show. Yay. Yeah <laughs> and if you would we like had, to email uh, the show, cinema nine pod at proteinmail.com. Cinema 9 pod that's numerical nine at protonmail.com. Yes, Eric. A friend of the podcast,
2: Brian, chimed in regarding uh Cinderella Man, which uh, you know, we talked to tried to talk a little bit about. I probably put it on my top, you know, eight or nine, but
1: really didn't he has do high anything for me. For this
2: yeah, he he's got high praise as well saying Cinderella Man is maybe the most underrated sports film ever made. Sure, they took Mm -hmm. some big liberties with the history, the most egregious being writing. Max Baer played, uh, I remember, really well by, who's that guy, Craig Bierko?
1: Yeah, I love Craig Bierko.
2: (laughs) As a bloodthirsty body bag producing psycho in the ring, but man, I love it. Looks amazing, well acted, and unabashedly crowd-pleasing in the best way possible.
1: Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Very kind of you. What a good man. (laughs) I watched the uh, um, true history of the Kelly Gang last night, um, which Ooh. was fucking awful. It was terrible, but the first half hour, forty five minutes, were yeah. really, really good. And they featured Russell Crowe in the first thing that I've seen him in in forever. And like, it really threw me for a loop. So I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a good movie. Then like, oh no, it's, it's not.
3: Was it the but, Lawless based on them with Shia uh, LaBeouf and Tom Hardy? Mm, no, um, Lawless, was ba-
1: Lawless was based on actual uh, actual family, like an actual. Well, I could be wrong. But no, I'm pretty sure it's based on Boop, uh,
3: actual bootleggers, yeah. 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 Great. Book. Uh, who's oh. the Kelly family? I don't even remember now.
1: Australian, uh, like, you know, the Australian Frank and Jesse
3: James, basically. Oh, okay, great. That's definitely not what that was. Sorry. All right. Well, I'll tell That'd you be- what, that sounds like fun. I'll have to check that out. Put it on no, don't be a fun topic. Don't, don't like, like, That's uh, what I'm I know, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was don't not a glowing recommendation. Said, uh- <laughs>
2: If, if you've got movies that you thought started out great and then went completely off the rails, maybe email the show. We can talk a little bit about it. That'd
3: be fun. Yeah. Yeah. We're always looking for opening segments to the show. We come up with them on the fly, uh, but we do prepare a little bit. I'll tell you next week, we're going to be looking at out of sight. We're going back to 1998. Out of yeah. sight. Next week's yeah. does it hold up? So if you want to follow along with us, watch out of sight over the next week and then we'll do it together next Thursday as we always do. Doing it together. Thank you for listening. It's been such a pleasure. Eric, Travis, Eric. Have a good weekend. Shut up. What about <laughs> you, Travis? You gonna have fun plans this weekend?
1: Um. Um. I'm, I'm gonna watch some movies. <laughs> uh,
3: quarantine life, disabled jokes in quarantine life. We've You're done right. it a thousand times. So. Thank you for listening. We're out of here. We'll catch you next week. Check us out: Cinema Pod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Email us cinema at ProtonMail.com Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: bye com. Bye bye. Bye bye.